Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Live Stream Sunday School for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio. Today is Sunday, May 22nd, 2022. 22-2022. <laughs> um, we're going to go ahead and get started with some music. Uh, this will be, of course, a, a dry run because we didn't have a chance to test it out, but I think it's going to be okay uh, for this morning. That's Love by the Community Praise Church Praise Team. Um, so that's coming up right now. And while we allow people to join us, uh, thank you for being here this morning. We appreciate you very much. Good morning, Ronnie, and good morning, Ann and Larry. Thanks for being here. That's Love by the Community Praise Church. Good morning, my bride. That's how you says you're watching, too. Amen. Amen. Went to Calvary. Thanks for being here this morning. Amen. Amen. Let's see how long it takes for some people to jump on this morning because it rained last night. Are you going? Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> you have to clear the eyes out. Clarinda, good morning. Thank you for being here with us this morning. Amen. Barbie Mansfield, good morning. Thanks for joining us. God bless you. Community Praise Church. That's love. Jackie, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> I think I have an idea about the morning music thing now. It's going to be triple cup of coffee getting into private private churches who post that might be the uh, that might be the angle here Jackie triple cup of coffee my goodness uh, <laughs> I saw your I saw somebody put a snowball right now right if you see me doing two fists of coffee at one time you know it's it's pretty intense well, I'm glad you're home today that's great Debbie, good morning. Thanks for being here. Amen. That's love by the Community Praise Church Praise Team. Amen, amen. If you didn't catch it, um, yesterday we tried to test another song, and it seemed like it was okay until I saw the, the magic message come up about copyright. I said, well, that's not going to fly on a live. <laughs> good morning, Arlen. Amen. 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 All right, thank you very much to Community Praise Church, Community Praise Church Praise Team for That's Love. That's the name of the song. We appreciate the uh, contribution. Uh, thank you, Arlen and Angie and Bev Parkman. Good morning, and we welcome you both, welcome you all to with us uh, for Sunday School this morning. We have a little bit going on here as far as content, so I don't want to delay too much to get into that. I do want to give you the announcements for today to make sure that you're aware of what's happening today. We have a full church session uh, at church uh, today, too. And uh, for those of you who aren't joining us online, there will be a message, or aren't joining us in church live, excuse me, there will be a message online. The second beast uh, is the message. Pastor Gus Brown is providing the message. Uh, it'll be online following the Sunday school, immediately following Sunday school here at uh, uh, on the Akron Alliance Fellowship Facebook page. We appreciate you being here. We, this is where all the content will be found. 
relative to our church and what's happening with our church. Um, we pre- appreciate your looking in on that message if you can't make it to church, so that uh, we have always the full church experience for anybody who is not in Akron, Ohio, or not able to come to church. Good, good morning, Roscoe. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Liz and Vic and anybody in the background there. Thanks for being here. Um, also want to, everyone to please remember their tithes and offerings. We appreciate you uh, remembering those things because we still have a church to run and we're still running it. The, of course, in, in Akron, if you're coming to church, there's a drop box in the lobby. You drop your uh, tithes and offerings off in that drop box as well, too. And for those of you who are mailing your tithes and offerings, if you're not able to come to church, we welcome you to mail them to Akron Alliance Fellowship, 688 Diagonal Road, Akron, Ohio, 44320. We appreciate that very much. Still have business to take care of in church. Still have a benevolent fund we want to build up in our church as well, too, as well as take care of the basics, the utilities, and all that. So we appreciate you giving consideration to that because that is a way to contribute to the body of Christ, and we appreciate you remembering those very important aspects of your worship. Okay, and I believe that's everything that we wanted to cover today. Oh, we do have a Zoom Bible study. I did forget, see? Unless I didn't write it down. There's a Zoom Bible study. I know. Doi. Later today at 5 o'clock, 5 o'clock Eastern, 2 o'clock Pacific, um, we'll be getting back in the book of Luke, and we appreciate all those who uh, want to participate in Zoom Bible study. Uh, you, you will need to have, if you've already submitted your email address to us, we have your email, and you'll be getting an invitation um, not long before the start of the Bible study. If you've never been involved in our Zoom Bible study, you'll have to have Zoom installed on one of your platforms already prior to starting and just ready to go. Uh, you don't have to do anything other than just install it. And if you want to participate, you would send your email address to Akron Alliance, all one word, Akron Alliance at gmail.com, and we can send you an invitation to participate in the Zoom Bible study this afternoon. We do it on the fourth Sunday of every month, and this is the fourth Sunday of May, so we appreciate you being here. And if you want to participate, like I said, it's totally up to you. It's There's no charge or anything like that. You'll just need to have Zoom, uh, the Zoom program installed on whatever platform you want to use, and uh, on your iPad or whatever it is, or your or your Android device, device iPhone. And we will welcome you. We we have a good time doing it. It's just a bunch of people getting together and talking about the Bible. <laughs> That's what it's all about. That's what Bible study is all about. Okay. And with that in mind, let's go ahead and get into the material. We have a few things to cover here. Something that kind of struck me as I was preparing, uh, one particular topic that we hadn't talked a whole lot about, I think we talked about it very quickly, I want to get into it only because we need to know what it represents and and what the original church fathers uh, in this biblical inerrancy uh, push had to fight with and fight through for much of the time that uh, well, we're referring to in the early church. It's, they, it was pretty much a regular thing. It's based upon the culture. It was based upon where they were, and the Roman Roman Empire, and the influence of it, and what that really meant as far as the opposition to the church. But we, having said that, let's go ahead and um, get into the Word. We're going to go get into prayer, um, and I just want to thank everyone for being here this morning. We we really appreciate you being here. Good morning, Cindy. Uh, good morning, Joanna and Charles. Thank you for being here. Uh, we appreciate each and every one of you. And spread the word, Sunday school. We're, I think we're the only church that I'm aware of in, the, in Northeast Ohio that actually does a live Sunday school broadcast. Um, so spread the word. If there are people who really want to get into the word more and more, we are here for them. And so we appreciate you mentioning that. So let us go ahead and get started and get into this session number 15 of Biblical Inerrancy. Um, it is a survey the content, once again, just to be clear, is adapted from um, the book, uh, Biblical Inerrancy, the Historical Evidence by Norman Geisler. And we've also pulled sources, source of information from gotquestions.org because it's a great resource. If you have a question about anything, it is uh, literally you could type it in into a search function and there will be something that will pop up about it, it's, which is really phenomenal. So we want you to understand that that's... Um, it's available for anyone and everyone, uh, but you just have to have the hunger, right? To, if you really want to know, you got to get into the Word and dig into it. 
And, of course, the most primary source of information is your Bible. Your Bible is what you need to make sure you're always looking to. And get a Bible that you can read and understand, everybody. This is... Um, there's no sense in having a Bible and, you con- and you, you've got like an, oh, a primitive version like the King James or something. And if you love, if you, James, if you love yeah. Get a parallel Bible. Yes. If you love King James, get a parallel Bible to go along with it. I think that's just a fair thing to do because I'll have to tell you there's some things to, to understand about the King James and, and reference as we go forward in looking at uh, why the King James is still relevant and important. But we also recognize, too, that... A lot of the newer translations have actually made some corrections <laughs> based upon the original King James as well, too. So, And the corrections were good corrections because we want to make sure that we're consistently giving the truth when we're speaking the truth about the word not and not misinterpreting. It doesn't mean that people are being erroneous on purpose. It just happens that we have a different language now. We have a different way of seeing things. And even the interpretation of the original Greek and Hebrew there were challenges. There certainly were challenges. So by all means, let's uh, keep that in mind as we look at this survey and look at what we're lo- uh, what is being presented. And remember that because we're all imperfect, we need to make sure that we're going back and look at, looking at things and checking things through. And you as a believer are always going to test what is said and what is mentioned in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the churches, in the pulpits, from the pulpits. You're the Acts 1711 uh, Berean, you have to check things out for yourself. You don't just take my word for it or anybody's word for it. That's what it's all about. Let's go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, we just thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you for your teaching. We thank you for the wisdom and the knowledge that you impart to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, as we go through this study and we go through some history and look at some of the challenges that the church fathers had lord we may we understand that these challenges indeed exist today there is nothing new under the sun as mentioned uh, uh, by solomon there's nothing new under the sun and in this particular situation the very things that we are studying about right we are studying about right now they are indeed our challenges today may we be dil- diligent in looking at the word and studying the word and making sure that we're checking things through checking things through and with the holy spirit present to give us wisdom and guidance as far as what we should be believing what we should be following and lord the discernment to make choices on those things that aren't you aren't from you we pray lord that you help us with these things right now and we ask all of it in Jesus' precious name amen, amen. Everybody, turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Proverbs chapter 30. Let's take a look at uh, Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. And uh, my, my lovely bride mentioned that I think this was a verse that, part of the verse that I mentioned last week. But I also want to mention something that's very important for us to always hang our hat on when it comes to biblical inerrancy. Of course, we get a lot of great information from the scriptures as we go through them. But here at Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6, I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Um, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Now, why why did I go and start with this particular passage? Because what we're going to find is the church fathers that we're going to be looking at They had a constant battle for those people who wanted to take what Christ had already provided, the information about salvation, but now adding words or doing things to try to take the focus off of what Christ did and put more of the focus on what man could do to achieve this so-called higher plane or status, uh, to be able to... Uh, see God or, or, or know God or achieve God. Believe me when I tell you, this is nothing new. This is going on today. There are a lot of people out there. And you have to kind of go and look for them if you're not really on social media or something like that. There are people out there that believe that they have the insight as to what is really the truth. And, you know, you know it's, it's really a shame. I'm not going to get into names, and, and I won't do that because I don't think that would be appropriate. I think it's appropriate just to say that. There's a lot of distractions out there that people have put forth to believe that they 
where Christ is diminished in some way, shape, or form, and the idea that you can achieve uh, this eternal life with Jesus, this is something that is a lie from the devil, honestly, and it is something to be, it should be rebuked. But, you know, you, you can try to tell someone that they're misleading people, and I have done that before, too, with someone online, and you don't really get anything back. You get more of an argument about, um, uh, some sort of a straw man argument about, well, why are you following uh, a Jesus that gets involved in, you know, sacrificing himself or blood sacrifice? Well, it's not, it's not about that at all. If you don't understand what it really is, um, you have to really look at it for what, what people do is that they'll try to t- change things around and turn things around to try to, rebe- to uh, refute your argument, but it's really not a refutation at all. Um, but having said that, let's get into the material because I, don't want, I want to leave some time here for what we're doing. We have a couple of we do have a couple of church fathers to look at, but in the midst of all that, I'm going to probably close out with a discussion about Gnosticism because this is something that's really important for us to leave this class with, um, because it's something that took place back then for the church fathers, and it exists in different forms today. If I read to you what the exact definition of being a Gnostic is, then you would understand that it's really something that's just quite common. Uh, <laughs> Um, and I thought it was something that had gone away, but it has not gone away. It actually is just has different names and comes under different messages today. Um, so let's start first of all with these last two church fathers that we're going to be covering. We're going to cover Clement of Alexandria first. Clement of Alexandria. Now we, we before we've covered Clement of Rome, and so we had to make a distinction. Which which Clement are we talking about? Amen. We're talking about Clement of Alexandria. He was alive between 150 AD 150 and 215, and he is indeed uh, very important. Has an important role as a church father, and he was born uh, into what would be called a pagan family in Athens, Athens, Greece. Uh, is Clement, Clement of Alexandria. That's what he is referred to. His his name was Clemens at one point, Titus Flavius Clemens, but it was changed to Clement of Alexandria. That's what he is referred to. Um, he lived in uh, we, he lived in Alexandria because that's where we want to distinguish him from Clement of Rome. And as a seeker of truth, Clement traveled through Greece, Italy, Syria, Palestine, and finally to Alexandria, Egypt. That's where he wound up. Alexandria was a melting pot of all sorts of religious and philosophical ideas. And there he encountered the teacher of the Alexandria Catechetical School, Pantanus, who presented him with the Christian message, and then Clement became a believer. So eventually Clement would succeed Pantanus as the head of the school in Alexandria, and his approach was a tailored to reach the educated Intelligent, uh, the intelligent and educated people and those steeped in Greek culture. And he basically provided the background, uh, the pagan philosophy as the background that would prepare that pagan to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he actually took the approach, well, he was like one of them at some point, and so now he was just taking the information that he had learned uh, as he was growing up and saying, okay, well, let's transition over now to what does it mean to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? That's actually a a very, very effective means of communicating the gospel to people because you want to be relevant, you want to be relatable. And I think that that's exactly what he was trying to do. And he also presented Christianity as a new philosophy, pardon me, in terminology that would appeal to Gnostics. We'll talk about that later, Gnostics. And Gnostic teaching was becoming more and more popular those days. remember, Remember the time frame here, we're talking about late 100s, early 200s A.D. And Clement taught that faith was the basis of the true knowledge, um, or gnosis. And we have to understand what the definition of Gnostics are. We'll cover that later, so just keep that, keep a finger in the thought there. I'm not going to forget about it. But Clement did most of his writing while he was at the school, in between 190 and 202. And he wrote exhortations, uh, often called exhortations to Greeks, exhortations to the heathen, or exhortations to Gentiles, using extensive philosophical quotations and sophisticated argumentation to show pagan unbelievers 
that Christianity was reasonable. That's the whole idea. If you want to make sure that Christianity is reasonable, make it easy to understand. Make it believable. Make it understandable. And that's what he tried to do. And he has other sermons that he should be he's credited for, too. Um, uh, one of them is, um, Who is the rich man that shall be saved? And it was significant in that it addressed a problem that Christians did not often have to face in the early years of the church. What is the responsibility of rich Christians, wealthy Christians? And you have to understand that back then there was a lot of uh, debate, I'm sure, between those who had and those who had not. But there is a, such a thing as a rich believer. And Scripture even talks about that when they talk about who are the people who are the wealthy or the rulers. And the debate was that uh, Clement was saying that being rich wasn't a problem if you weren't a greedy person. Plain and simple. If you were a greedy person, you were going to have trouble uh, with any kind of aspect of faith in Jesus. And so this has been the dominant Christian attitude towards wealth since then. This has been a lasting interpretation. In 202, Clement fled Alexandria to escape the persecution of the Roman emperor, emperor Septimus Severus and later died in age and minor. So his influence has been debated, but according to a tradition, he was a teacher of origin. O-R-I-G-E-N, that's the name of the individual, who later became a theologian of major influence in the Eastern Church. And we'll look at origin right after this. But let's take a look real quick at what um, Clement of Alexandria said about the origin of Scripture and the commands of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's interesting. Uh, he writes down and makes a note here, in fact, they stitched together a multitude of lies and figments that then they may appear acting in accordance with reason in not admitting the scriptures. So then they are not pious in as much as they are not pleased with the divine commands, that is, with the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying here is essentially that people, uh, we can reject the Holy Spirit very simply with our own reasoning and logic and understanding. And he's challenging people to say, well, if the Spirit gives a command, it is the command. It's not something to be debated over or, or thought about in, in any way differently. Uh, so we have to keep that in mind. That the scriptures were indeed derived from God, for God is the cause of all good things, but of some, primarily as of the Old and the New Testament, and of others, by consequence, as philosophy. Now such to us are the scriptures of the Lord, which gave birth to the truth, and continue virgin in the concealment of the mysteries of the truth. Okay? And another thing that he mentioned about the voice of God... But we who have heard by the scriptures that self-determining choice and refusal have been given to the, by the Lord to men rest in the infallible criterion of faith, manifesting a willing spirit since we have chosen life and believe God through his voice. You, one of the things that we have to do as believers too as we grow in our faith and mature in our faith, we have to make sure that we know when God is speaking to us. And that's a conscious thing that we need to, need to make sure we're doing. We have to have what, a willing spirit, just like what uh, Clement of Alexandria is saying here. We believe God through his voice, but we have to make sure that we know when he's speaking to us. We have to make sure that we understand and discern it is him speaking to us. And, of course, this takes practice through prayer. And you'll literally be asking God, if you don't know what to do, ask God to speak to me. Ask him to say something to you. Ask him to show you something. Ask him that you'd like to hear his voice in some manner or form. Whether it's a quiet whisper or whether it's uh, him speaking through someone else. The bottom line is that you want to hear his voice. And I think that's something that all believers should be asking for and all believers should be seeking after. Don't be the person who approaches this faith thing. Well, I don't know if I want to reveal anything more to God. I don't know if I want to ask anything. Don't, don't you think he already knows your heart? I mean, don't you think he already knows all about you? you? You you have to understand that he knows all about who you are already. Why are you holding back when it comes to your faith and trusting him and wanting to hear him speak to you? That's something that you don't ever want to do. And let's see, Alexandra, uh, Clement of Alexandria, excuse me, also mentioned about the divine nature of Scripture. The divine nature. The divine scripture accordingly says that to those who have transgressed the commands are sold to strangers, that is, to sins alien to nature, till they return and repent. Hmm. Those are slothful who, having it in their own power to provide themselves with proper proofs 
for the scriptures from the scriptures themselves, select only what contributes to their own pleasures. Boy, isn't that true today. A lot of people would love to take scripture and use it for their benefit because they want to live a certain lifestyle. They want to live a certain way. Uh, I, it's really a sad thing to know that a lot of the people who have been involved with proclaiming themselves in a public manner uh, have managed to bend scripture sometimes to allow for their own private indiscretions. May we never be like that. And that's why it's very important for us to understand the rule of truth, which is what uh, Clement of Alexandria says here in this last section here we'll cover with him. The rule of truth. Uh, this is, again, about why the Bible is true. Amen. For those who make the greatest attempts must fail in the things of the highest importance, unless, receiving the truth itself, the rule of the truth, they cleave to the truth. But such people, in consequence of falling away from the right path, err in most individual points, as you might expect, from not having the faculty for judging of what is true and false, strictly trained to select what is essential. For if they had, they would have obeyed the scriptures. So what he's saying here about the rule of truth is that if there's truth, you you obey not just part of it, but all of it. And that's what is very, very important for us to see here. And I appreciate this probably more than any of the others I've read so far, how he's giving us information that tells us that people who choose to sin or choose to uh, take a different path uh, maybe it's a Gnostic, maybe not, but so or someone else like him. They've done so because they just want to say, okay, well, part of this scripture is true, but part of it I won't accept or I won't, I won't buy into it. Well, it, it's, not, it's an all-or-nothing proposition. Either you believe the truth or you don't believe it. It's really that simple. There's nothing um, more or less than that. So we want to make sure that we are keeping that in mind as we look at this material. And I'm very thankful for Clement of Alexandria taking that approach and making sure that we indeed understand this particular, these particular truths when it comes to biblical inerrancy. It's either all or nothing when it comes to truth. Amen? It's either you believe the word or you don't believe it. Now, I mention all of this and, and try to apply it to where we are today, that we as believers have to make sure that we're reading Scripture and, and looking at it for what it really represents. It really represents what God is saying to us. So, I'm just going to ask you a point-blank question. Do you think that God is pleased with abortion? Um, and that's a point-blank question, isn't it? And what is the answer? The answer is, no, of course God is not a pleased, pleased with abortion. You cannot be double-minded. You cannot believe in something like that and say it's appropriate because it is just absolutely counter to God's law, God's way of seeing things when it comes to truth. All life is precious, and that's what he believes, but we've got people who want to proclaim themselves to be of the faith and still make a statement that, well, it's still, it's still something that's up in the air. I'm, I'm not going to touch that subject. Well, why, not? why aren't you touching that subject? That subject is a critical thing to touch. And, and by the way, it's been made as a political statement, but it's not a political statement. It's all about truth. It's all about life. It's all about what's really important. We need to make sure that as we look at biblical inerrancy, if we're looking at scripture, we've got to take the entire part of what God says to us, not just pieces, parts, for our own convenience. This is a uh, kind of a call out for those individuals who want to still practice something like that. And honestly, if, if it really means, you know, we have to part of ways because we don't agree with something like that, then I'm going to stand on the word of God and stand and what he, what he teaches and what that represents. And I think that that's a good place for me to stand. And so we need to understand that. And I would pray for anybody who would feel differently, honestly. So just making that as a statement, because I've seen enough things uh, over the last few days that tell me that we uh, individuals in the church, we have to stand for truth and stand up for what the word of God says. And that's what uh, when Pastor Gus came to me and gave me this topic about biblical inerrancy, I was wrestling with it and saying, what exactly needs to be said during this presentation, during this class? And I think that I'm finding the sweet spots here on what to talk about. We need to stand on the word of God, stand on truth. Do not compromise your truth. Just because the voices in the other direction are loud and long and hard, you stand on truth. That's really what matters most. 
Now, I'm going to get to a more uh, controversial church father. He is the last one we're going to cover in this study, and that's Origen, Origen of Alexandria. We are making a distinction uh, of uh, he was one of those guys that was really a deep thinker, and because he was such a deep thinker, sometimes he really was all over the place. But foundationally, Origen was on target in many ways, and so he is worth covering. Uh, he was also he was alive from AD 185 to 254, also known as Origen Adamantius. He was one of the earliest and most important Christian scholars. He is remembered both for prodigious scholarship and fanatical commitment to purity. And I'll, I'll cover some of that in a moment. He is credited with, and, I, and for those of you who may remember the church, we did a church history study about Origen, and Origen was one of those guys that you, you sometimes would step and scratch your head a little bit or wince. Uh, <laughs> I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, he is uh, credited with producing hundreds of works of theology, textual criticism, and biblical interpretation. Among Origen's most important works were the Hexapla, De Principis, and Contra Celsum. A few of his views were unorthodox to the point later politicians, um, uh, to the point where later uh, individuals um, thought that he was just going to, uh, he was just off the charts. He was, um, he did, he did also kind of dive into where Gnostics were a little bit, and I'll explain Gnostics a little bit later. Um, so. And he did not consider that he considered the Trinity was a ranking, not an equality, and believed that everyone, even demons, would one day be forgiven and purified by God. I kind of know where that comes from because there was a statement that was made early on in the church, and especially in the Nicene Creed, where Jesus died and went to hell. And, and I think that that may be where Origen was going. Uh, because in the early writings of the King James, this is what I was referring to, when he descended, he had descended, but the issue was where did he ascend to? And most people think that he went to hell. Well, when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he did not have to go to hell to suffer any punishment, for goodness sake, about the sin he died for. And so that's a whole, that's a whole argument that a lot of people have been talking about in the early church. And so we have to understand that he was very much, um, he had a radical approach to a number of things. He also had a radical approach to purity. Um, he lived in a stream asceticism. He lived without shoes. He lived without a bed. He often worked instead of sleeping. Uh, he fasted twice a week and avoided all meat and wine. He, according to a Roman historian, Asubius, Origen's quest for purity led him through an extremely literal interpretation of Matthew 19:12 to self-castration. Um, so that's the one that makes the guys in the audience just wince a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's not pleasant, but that's exactly what he. That's the what that is what he was rumored to have done. They they don't even his admirers thought this was rather extreme. <laughs> but later scholars would debate whether or not he actually did it. Actually, he uh, whether he uh, performed the deed or not. So that's just something. Um, but he he really believed in purity. And that's something that he stood for. So you have to understand something about some of these guys who we're talking about here. They, um, they're living with conviction. They're living with the determination uh, that they want to be pure and they want to make sure that they don't sin against the Lord. That's not a bad thing at all, is it? That's a very good thing. Now, can you go overboard with something like that? Yeah, you can. But but at the end of the day, we have to look at the, the, the motivation here. We all should be living that way. And we should all should be living not in the extreme manner. Please don't don't go away from this and say, do what Origen did. Uh, we're not going to do that. We're not going to make that comparison. Uh, but the idea of living a pure life, what does it say in Scripture? Um, you, you be holy because I am holy. Um, hide the word in your heart that you may not sin against God. This is the lifestyle that believers should have. We shouldn't be looking at every chance that we get to find a way to, to sin, for goodness sake. That's what this is all about here. Now, we have to understand that Origen um, studied under non-Christian philosophers in his birth city of Alexandria, Egypt, 
in order to better understand their arguments. And that was what helped him to put together a work of systematic theology. And he indeed laid out a structure to Christian belief, but did so through then contemporary Greek philosophy. And this is probably what got uh, Origen into trouble a little bit in one of those areas. He um, Now, one thing I do want to point out, uh, remember when we just talked about this guy just worked all the time and didn't sleep a whole lot. Another of Origen's most important works is his Hexapla. That is the sixfold. That's what it's called. This book is one of the earliest examples of textual criticism and scholarly apologetics, as well as a true interlinear Bible. I almost wish I could get a hold of something like that. The Hexapla was formated, formatted in six columns, one column in Hebrew, in parallel with five columns of various Greek translations. Origen's purpose in compiling this was to counter Gnostic and Jewish attacks on early Christianity. This work also provided Christians with a comprehensive guide to the Old Testament. The original is estimated to have been more than 6,500 pages. And it took more than 28 years to complete. Unbelievable. But that's what he did. He, um, and there's other things here. I don't want to uh, bore you with any more details here. But he did run afoul eventually with the Roman Empire. Um, he... Um, some time after AD 251, a plague went through Rome, and Emperor Odysseus laid blame on Christians for failing to worship him as a divine being. Because, of course, a lot of the, the Roman emperors thought they were gods or godlike. And so during the Decian persecution, Origen was imprisoned and brutally tortured, but purposely kept alive in hopes that he would recant his faith. True to his reputation, uh, he remained a man of steel and was re- released from prison when Emperor Odysseus died. Unfortunately, Origen hadn't. Uh, Origen eventually died from his injuries after he was um, released. But we have to understand that even though many of his teachings later on were uh, viewed as shallow or superstitious or anti-intellectual, but he was a very important father of the church, and so we want to cover that aspect of what he had. There's a lot here. I don't. I, I want to be sensitive to time and get through this and cover the last part here about Gnosticism. Let's just take a few things here. So when Origen writes about how the word is inspired by God, here's what he writes. This is from De Principis. Um, this good, this just and good God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ himself, gave the law and the prophets and the gospels, being also the God of the apostles and of the Old and New Testaments. Therefore, we shall we we shall endeavor, so far as our moderate capacity will permit, to point out to those who believe the Holy Scriptures to be no human compositions, but to be written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There he is. He's saying right very clearly that the Word comes directly from the Holy Spirit in Scripture. Turn to Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. This is just a reminder of something that we have seen, and this is a reminder of what. Origen is saying actually to the people of the church as well. 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16 is probably a great memory verse. And, and I'm telling myself this as well too. Because um, we need to come back to this and always remember where scripture comes from. So Origen saying it comes from the Holy Spirit. And I'm saying uh, also, looking at what it says in the word here, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Um, and I know that uh, my lovely bride, bride added verse 17, which I can't see from here, um, but I'll, I'll pull it up real quick. Got it right here. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we want to make sure that there's a purpose, obviously, in this, making sure we understand what where, what, where God's word comes from. It's for our benefit. It's for us to be ready to move when it comes to uh, following and understanding the faith of uh, the Lord, uh, faith in the Lord and how we move about and go about things. Even though the the Spirit uh, was uh, indeed coming from, it came through the saints. This is again Origen writing. Whether prophets or apostles and that there was not one spirit in the men of the old dispensation and another in those who were inspired at the advent of Christ is most clearly taught throughout the churches. 
So he's also mentioning that this spirit was conveyed through people. Um, it was uh, breathed out through the spirit, and that's what happens. And let's look at the nature of scripture. Let's cover how sacred it is uh, that Origen wrote about. He wrote about divine, supernatural, but we only have so much time. So I'm going to cover um, the sacred portion. And there was no motive which induced them to clash with the books of Moses, which were held as sacred. The words of those persons who were afterwards deemed to be prophets. Um, he's made, basically saying that the word, the word is sacred. It comes directly from the Lord. It was, for, it was given to Moses, and Moses conveyed uh, the truth uh, through his writings as well, too. That the nature of Scripture is true. And in this way, he might become a sharer in the knowledge of the Spirit and a partaker in the divine counsel, because the soul cannot come to the perfection of knowledge otherwise than by inspiration of the truth of the divine wisdom. And that's from De Principis. Okay. So, uh, looking at time here, I'm going to uh, conclude with Origen that he was a very significant writer, um, a very significant uh, individual within church history. He was one of our church fathers. He was one of those who were combating this whole thing about Gnosticism. And, and it had to do, you have to understand how much culture had a great influence on what was going on back then in, in the early church. But I want to talk about Gnosticism because I want, I want you to understand exactly what that is because we only covered it briefly here and I didn't, couldn't find a way to work it in, but I just did. <laughs> so we're going to work it in today um, because of the nature of these church fathers and what they had to combat in their efforts to convince people. You heard the word Gnostics mentioned a few times here. Let's define the term Gnostic. G-N-O-S-T-I-C. It's Gnostic. The, the G is silent. It's, a, it's always the G is always silent. In Gnosticism, you don't see the G used being pronounced. It's not Gnosticism. It's just Gnosticism. So the Gnostic, the person who was a Gnostic, it was largely somebody who was a, a Roman in that time frame. The Roman philosophy was a big thing back then. We have to understand that. And that's what we're referring to here. The Gnostic believes in acquiring special mystical knowledge as the means for salvation. According to Gnostic beliefs, there is a great God that is good and perfect, but he's impersonal and unknowable. Well, that's already in conflict with what we understand about who God is, and because that's because of Jesus Christ. The creator of the universe was actually a lesser deity. Now, check this out. I, this is something I'd forgotten about. The creator of the universe was actually a lesser deity, a cheap knockoff, you believe that, of the true God who wanted to create a flawless material universe but botched the job. I just cannot, you cannot, uh, we have to understand something here. This is, this is what they believe, but this is why they would much rather center on their own way of thinking and their own elevation. Look, Listen, this is not much different than an atheist. An atheist believes there is no God. Might as well just say there's no God altogether. They're, the Gnostics are saying this is, there is an imperfect God who's out there. There may be a true God who's out there, but we don't know who he is, and we can't see him. Uh, that may be why Peter mentioned about this, this one, this, when he was talking to the people about this unknown God. They had a, 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 a statue up about whoever the unknown God was. It's because of this philosophy stuff, everybody. So instead of having a utopia, we ended up with a world infected, infected with pain, misery, and intellectual and spiritual blindness. All matter is now corrupt and evil. However, when the lesser deity created man, he accidentally imbued humanity with a spark of the true God spirit, making man an inherently good soul trapped in the confines of an evil material body. That's what people thought back then. The Gnostics. So maybe you're just a good guy. You're trapped inside a body that's virtually evil. So it's like, huh. It's just pretty amazing stuff. Now, let me ask you a question. Just with that definition of Gnosticism, is that really much different from what we have today from non-believers in Jesus? Is it really that much different? And the answer is no. It is not much different. It's pretty much the same thing. It's just taken in different ways. There's different... There's different faiths out there. There's different ways of thinking. There's this uh, believing you can achieve a higher plane of thinking by just putting your thoughts and minds on things of purity. There's nothing new under the sun. It's just a, a, is a, it's a clever way um, 
Turn real quick to Acts chapter 4, verse 12. I want to teach you something also, too, about Gnostics real quick, because time is of the essence here. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. First of all, look what it says in Acts 4, 12. And we have to recognize that the Gnostics are going to be in contrast with this particular verse. It says, and there is, no, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And we're talking about who? Jesus. Jesus Christ. So the Gnostics say, the Gnostic Jesus um, brings a message of self-redemption. Man only needs to examine his inner spark to find the knowledge needed to free himself from his material body and reach God. This, I'm telling you, right now is, is being taught right now today among people who believe in the the angels, the Pleiadians, these are all people who have this higher consciousness and there is stuff that's going on right now. These, this is what is going on. As long as you think you're going to achieve this 5D uh, representation uh, of, of being in a higher plane and being in fellowship with God, which is uh, blasphemous in my opinion, but I'm not going to, I don't want to go any further than that. But the bottom line here is self-redemption. That's what's being taught in Gnosticism here. Uh, go to Jeremiah 17.9. I'm, I'm trying to finish up here quickly uh, to not lose the point here. This alleged purity of heart that is being taught here in Gnosticism is the exact opposite of what's in, Je in Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We, honestly, we have to rely upon the Lord to help us with our heart. We, we need help with this because we know that we will deceive. We will think that we have it all together. But as it turns out, the Gnostics said, nope, we just need to think and get that inner spark to achieve this higher intelligentsia, this higher way of achieving. And so Gnosticism has evolved and branched out from the exclusively spiritual into the secular and scientific. So Gnosticism went out further. Um, psychologist C.G. Jung praised Gnosticism as superior to traditional Christianity as a way of thinking. And you know, have to understand something. Uh, another form of Gnosticism denies the existence of God altogether. What is that? That's atheism. While embracing an eternal but still flawed universe. Um, doesn't see the world as totally evil, but it sees the world as flawed and incomplete. Mankind becomes the deity, and it is right his right to improve the human body and the world around him through his own wisdom. Um, I'm going to leave you to read the rest of Gnosticism on your own because it is just fascinating. Everything that we're talking about here, this is what the church fathers had to battle from the get-go when it came to the early church. They had to battle this way of thinking that we don't need God, we don't need Jesus, but if, if there can be a God who exists and there can be a Jesus or not, but they are flawed by comparison to, uh, in comparison to those who are Gnostics who felt that they had the better way of seeing things or doing things. Why is it that we have a lot of worldly thinkers today? The people who think that, well, we don't need God. We're just going to do what we think is good and what's right. It's just literally Gnosticism repackaged and reprogrammed for today. May we never fall into that uh, place where we uh, look at this particular thing and do those things that honestly we need to test everything against the word of god proverbs 1 7 says the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge fools despise wisdom and instruction and there's a lot of yes there's a lot of that going on today and i want to look at one more passage first thessalonians chapter 5 verse 21 When you hear things or see things, it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, there's a lot of uh, partial sentences in these verses here that are broken up, but they, but they stand on their own. But test everything. Hold fast what is good. In a world today, we have to hold on to what is good, but test out everything. Make sure that everything that we're hearing is indeed truth. Make sure that everything that we have stands in truth. And... We, there's a lot of Gnostic lifestyles out there today that we need to recognize and understand as foolish 
Ben, we need to pray for those individuals that they see the truth. As we get further and further into the last days of Jesus and the criticisms ramp up about Christianity, saying that Christianity is irrelevant or not necessary, may you understand the truth. It is all about Jesus. Stay focused on the, word, on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not let those who talk uh, down about Christianity take your focus off of Jesus Christ because that's what they want to do. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants you to lose hope. He wants you to look at the world today and say that, you know, these people are, you know, these people don't need, are wasting their time getting involved. But be careful about who you're listening to, too, when it comes to that. Chances are, if you're watching media or paying attention to what media is saying, you're listening to people who are atheists. Always remember that. Keep that in mind. Don't, don't uh, automatically assume that everybody you're listening to is of God. And, and that's, that's where, where you need to understand. These, these programs that are commentaries, they're giving you information based upon their own feelings or emotions. And don't assume that they, they are of God. They may not be of God at all. They may be atheists. Okay, So just giving it as a food for thought. Uh, use discernment. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. All right, we're, we're, we're done now. Uh, I want to go ahead and pray, but I hope you take these words to heart. This is a really important part of our study in biblical inerrancy. We stand on the word, and we believe the word is true. Let's live that way, and let's really put it to the test. Amen? Father, we thank you for your presence today. We thank you for your teaching. Lord, we know that not everyone's going to accept the truth. Not everyone's going to listen to what you have to say. And we pray for those people right now, Lord, that you reveal that truth to them nonetheless. So that indeed there is no excuse. People have seen the truth and they've seen those things right, right away. They already should know that you are indeed present. You are Lord. Lord, as believers ourselves, may we be bolstered with this information. May we seek you in confidence. May we trust in you implicitly. May we always come to you and ask for forgiveness when we make, make a mistake, when we sin, when we, when we just mess up altogether. Lord, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Help us, Lord, as we continue to move forward and stand in your truth. Your word is truth. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me today. We hope you enjoyed this. It was a great study. We're going to continue into another aspect of biblical inerrancy next time. Stay tuned online for Pastor Gus's message following Sunday school. You have a good week as well, Jackie. Thank you. And uh, don't forget Zoom Bible study later today at 5 o'clock. God bless you all. Take care of yourselves, and we will see you next time.